Hello, Shantiana Keys here, WBCA Manager of Education, and welcome to this week's episode of the WBCA podcast, Growing Our Game, where we discuss a variety of topics about women's basketball. Today, I hand over the mics to retired head coaches Harry Peretta of Villanova and former WBCA President Barbara Stevens of Bentley. Together, these two coaches have a combined total of 1,822 wins. In this episode, they will offer their insight about the game and what they've learned through their 40-plus years of experience. We're coaches. We're leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We build excellent people, not just excellent players. We improve lives, not just records. The WBCA is the premier professional association for the community of women's and girls basketball coaches. Build your career in coaching, network with colleagues, and get up-to-date information about our sport. We are here for you every step of your coaching journey. Learn more about a WBCA membership and benefits at WBCA.org. Harry, I feel like we should be doing this interview in rocking chairs. I know, you're right. <laughs> how many years for you? Uh, 44 total. That's what I was saying. You're longer than me. Tell me how you got into it. I don't think I ever expected to be a, you know, a college coach for my entire professional career. Got out of college uh, very, very, I, well, actually, I probably should start um, in college. I was extremely interested I played basketball, obviously, but I was extremely interested in the coaching end of, of uh, basketball. Uh, even attended some coaching clinics back when I was in college because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just wanted to learn about it. And fortunately, when I got out of college in 76, I was able to obtain a um, part-time assistant coaching position at Clark University. Um, and, uh, I was offered $400 for it and I was absolutely thrilled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought I had hit the jackpot, you know? So, uh, so I ended up doing, ended up doing that for a year. And then, um, the women's athletic director at Clark university the following year made me the head coach. So I was head coach at age 23. And again, similar to you, you know, you jumped in at age 22, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, when I was in college. My whole goal was to be a high school coach and a teacher. That was it. And when I was in college, the best thing ever happened to me, I got hurt and I couldn't play. And the coach liked me. He actually made me his assistant. This is a division three level. He made me his assistant when I was a junior and wow. a senior. So I actually coached the JV college guys that I was going to school with. I actually coached them. So when I got out, the I see the Villanova job in the paper and the St. Joe job was open. And I was like, you know, let me just see if, if I even get an interview. I didn't think I'd get an interview being a male 22 years old, you know? So I get the interview at Villanova and it's unbelievable. The woman who hires me, her husband played at Lycoming where I went to college. Wow. Now I get the job at 22 years old. So wow. it, it was yeah. one of those things that was like, that's why I stayed there my whole life. I just thought it was fate that I, that I yeah. Should, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, you know, back in those days, you and I, without any experience whatsoever, could become head college women's basketball coaches, right, right. you know, which um, I, I think probably um, in this day and age, that would never happen. No, I, I try to tell my son, he wants to get into coaching. And I tell him, I said, Stephen, you got to understand something. It's so different. I, you, I could never get a job at 22 years old now. I said, no, maybe I'd get an operations job, maybe, but never a head coaching job. So right. it, it was a different world back then. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, um, I I know that uh, you you look back on your career and you think about the years that you know uh, that got you to where you are right now. And and to me, those were really really good times. You know, back when uh, I remember being a young, inexperienced coach and and just so eager to learn, mm-hmm. eager to learn from everyone and everything, and had a great friend who was a young men's basketball coach at Clark. And he and I, I can remember, would sit, you know, at late at night and, and just pour over X and O's. And, um, you know, and I, I really felt like that was a really neat time for me. I was really lucky. Roly Massimino was the head coach of the men's team at the mm-hmm. time. And he kind of accepted me. And um, he took me under his wing. And he, I went to every, every uh, coach's meeting he had with his staff because I was part-time and he was full-time. So mm-hmm. he would invite me to the coaching meetings. And over the years I was with him, like you said, I just spent a lot of time learning, you know, getting thrown into that situation. You know what I mean? But it was lucky for me that he accepted me. I mean, he didn't have to accept me, but he did. Right. And uh, like I said, that really helped me. And then I met Dave Gavitt, mm-hmm. Foley. I met John Thompson. I met all these guys, Calhoun. And it was kind of really cool for me meeting all those guys. Yeah. I, you know, I think I I was, I mean, we've known each other a long time, but we really haven't necessarily kept in touch this whole time. So I was just, you know, I was reading up on you. (laughs) (laughs) The short paragraph? Yes. The one, the one, the two lines that they have (laughs) in your Wikipedia page. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that, that you talked about a lot was, um, sharing information with coaches who wanted to come in and, and look at your innovative spread offense. Um, and those people included Pat Summit. I mean, they were some, some really uh, experienced and certainly um, accomplished coaches who wanted to learn from you. And I think that that's kind of a really neat thing uh, about at least coaches maybe of our age, I, I, I would hope that it still goes on. I don't know. But um, the fact that that coaches were willing to come in um, and, and sit and watch practices and, and pick people's brains and try to learn, I think that's a really unique and, and neat thing about our profession. Do you? I agree with you. Uh, don't you think it was more then than now, though? <laughs> that's why I, I'm, I'm, I was afraid to say that. I mean, I know we used to do it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we used to p- call each other up and ask about things and, mm-hmm. and, and you were welcome in anyone's practice back right. then. You know? I think winning has, has blinded us in some ways to, to a lot of different things. I think that that has been my whole thing at Villanova. I always tell people that, I was at a place that was perfect for me because they never judged me on winning and losing. So I was never nervous about if we were playing Marquette on Saturday, their coach could come into our practice on Wednesday. I didn't care because that thing about winning wasn't so emphasized as it is today. And don't get me wrong. I think it's good, but I also think it hurts some things too, you know, and, and it makes us more afraid to share information than we did before. Like, right. Pat was a perfect example. She was, what, at the elitist level of, of all everybody. But she wasn't afraid to say, hey, can you give me a different idea? Can you – I'll never forget the day she, she came up to Villanova 
And I'll tell you two, a real funny story real fast, and then I'll tell you my other story. But she comes up to Villanova. I show her the offense, blah, blah, blah. And we're around, and some of my former players came up and to, just to meet her because they were excited, you know. And during the whole time, she says to me at some point, she goes, Harry, uh, do you not like me? And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? She goes, you never look at me. <laughs> I said, I'm a history major. I said, I said peasants in the field never look at the queen when she comes through. <laughs> but, but she had a sense of humor, Barty. You know what I mean? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So, she, so now she invites, That's me, awesome. she invites me down to Tennessee and she's showing me her offense, you know, and I'm looking at it and, I, and, she, and, I'm, and she goes, listen. I'm not afraid. Just tell me what you think. You know what I mean? She yeah. was the greatest. She was the greatest at that. She, had, yeah. she was so humble, you know, but that, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Sharing, you know, yeah. back there. Like that's what I, I think, you know, the, the coaches who probably succeed the most are those who are willing to share and also willing to continue to learn. Um, I, I think that those who think that they know it all and really, you know, kind of just want to do their own thing and, and uh, keep everything to themselves. I think that, you know, those people may have some, and as good as a lot of them are, I just think sometimes, you know, you're missing out on, on a lot of opportunities to, to learn even more and be even better. I agree with you. I, I, now that I'm out of it, I've been calling coaches in the area. And it's funny. Now, it's not that I will, they always like me and I always got along with them, but I feel more welcome now. They're inviting me to practice where before they wouldn't. Right, right. Now I'm not coaching against them anymore. You see what I'm saying? Right, so right. exactly. It's kind of interesting, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a different era in the sense that, you know, um, winning is taking over um, is. a lot of, I think, God, I don't even know how to say this, but, but winning is, is primary now. And, and anything that anyone can do to get an upper hand, I think, is, you know, is what they want to do. Um, um, but again, coaches like you who are so willing to share, um, you know, I think, uh, I hope that's not going away permanently. I don't think so. I find some younger coach. what I found interesting was some of the younger coaches on the men's side now are beginning that stigma of, remember before the stigma was men's basketball, you knew more women's basketball, you didn't know as much. Right. But stigma has kind of gone away. And I have... And over the last couple of years, I've had men's coaches of men's teams come in and look at the motion where that would have never happened years ago. Right. You know oh, exactly. Right. And, right, um, right. and I'll tell you another funny thing about long ago. Roly Massimino, I don't know this for a fact, but when he used to play like Princeton and some of the Ivy League teams that ran motion, mm -hmm. he, he would ask me to have Shelly, my players, come in and practice against them. Wow. I don't think any male coach years ago would have done that, but he did. And it was really cool because he said to me, Harry, I can't simulate the motion because we never play against it. Right. So bring us in. It was really funny, you know? <laughs> like yeah. Now, I, I think that, that takes a lot. Yeah. That takes a lot to bring, yes. you know, your players in. Well, I mean, Shelly was certainly one that could definitely play with the men. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. But yeah, that's a credit to the fact that, your offense was just so good that, you know, everybody wanted to learn, you know, even, John even, Chaney was even like the men. That too. John Chaney was actually like that. Vivian told me that when they were at Chaney and they both were coaching at Chaney at the same time, they used to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my yeah. point is like, 
Roley was a guy, he didn't have an ego that way. So he would tell people, oh, yeah, the, I brought the women's players into practice. And other people would try to tell you, like, you know, wouldn't even know that the women's players existed. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, what's, what's kept, what kept you in the game, Harry, as long as you did? Yeah, I, think, I, I think love of the game, first of all, you know. And I just got I, – I just loved it so much. And, and I had really good kids. I really had good kids, you know. And – I just felt like, hey, I, I just felt like this was the perfect place for me. And, and, and like you said, I got to know the other coaches, and it was really cool, you know. And uh, I was actually out walking this morning with a friend of mine, and I was telling him how I was so grateful that my kids had a chance to grow up in that environment. Mm. So when you put all that stuff together, that's what kept me in so long. Yeah. About you, I mean, you know, why did you stay in it so long? Um, ultimately the same thing. I, I eventually arrived at an institution um, that I, I felt that I could, uh, I, I believed in the education that was being um, given to our students. I, uh, I felt very, very supported as a coach in a program. I think we, you know, our goals were pretty lofty and they got even more lofty as we went along and our administration supported us every step of the way. I think that's mm-hmm. so critical um, to any coach. You know, if, if your administration, um, if, you're, if your goals and your administration's goals are not the same, then you're, you're in trouble, you know. That's a really good point you just said, really good point. And that's why at Villanova, I felt the same way as you, the Augustinians, mm-hmm their philosophy towards education above winning was, was unique. And, and, and you just said it, we were in line with each other. Right. And, and, you know, I felt like it was a place where we could recruit, same as you just said, really, really good student athletes, mm-hmm. you know, student athletes. Um, uh, where Bentley is a small business school and is renowned for for all of its business education and so our our pool of recruits became extremely extremely narrow um and our academic standards continued to rise as as i was there so it was difficult to recruit the right person to bentley but at the same time the ones that we did get were were special they were right. really, really special. And, and I think, you know, as you said, having, having that, having an atmosphere that you felt like you could grow as a coach, mm-hmm. you could thrive as an individual, um, and most importantly, you could, you could teach and, and mentor the kind of student-athletes that, you know, that, that we were very comfortable with and that, um, you know, I felt like I could at least have some kind of an impact on. That was extremely important to me. And I totally agree with you. I mean, like I said, as I stayed at Villanova longer and longer, I realized, hey, I might not be able to, I might not be able to exist at another school. Because mm, philosophy might have been different than the school itself. So when you put all that together, that's why I just said, hey, you know something, I might as well just stay here. Because I knew a lot of coaches, including Roly Massimino, who left Villanova to go to UNLV. Right. And, you know, I saw him make that mistake. You know what I'm saying? And he actually told me later on in life that he did make a mistake. Mm. He, he was perfect for Villanova. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
Right. Even Dave Gavitt would tell me that when I would get job offers from other schools, he said to me, you have to weigh both things, you know? So I was really happy that those guys mentored me that way too, you know? Right. And like I said, it worked out well for me. Right. You know, I I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, I started off at Clark University, my first college position, coaching position. Um, And Clark is a division three school in Worcester, Mass. And I, I, I mean, it was a great place. It was such a great place. I had Uh, wonderful friends. That's when I first started coaching and I was mentioning all the really good things that happened during that time as a young coach and and growing and developing. And, and then I was, you know, I was lured by the, Oh, you know, if, if you're really going to be a good coach, you know, you need to go to a division one school. So I, I ended up going to the university of Massachusetts for three years and, and struggled, you know, really struggled. Um, um, you know, again, it's, it's the fit. It's the, the, you you need to be where, where you feel that you can do the best job you can. And, um, and things weren't turning around as quickly as anybody wanted there. And, and then fortunately, you know, I, I was approached by the AD at Bentley and I went to Bentley. So I've coached at all three divisions and, um, and, you know, I, I really feel like Bentley was the right fit, the right match um, for everything that, that I was looking for. Yeah. And I try to tell coaches when they're, when they're ready to make that move, um, you know, be sure of what you're doing. Be sure of, you know, does that place fit you? Or, and, I've, and I've had coaches that did leave and then they, they realized it didn't work. And then I had some that did leave and it did work out for them. Right. I mean, right. so – but like you said, I don't think coaches look enough of, hey, can my personality fit at this school and does this school and myself have the same philosophy? Exactly. I that's a mistake that a lot of coaches make today. That's why you see so many coaches moving around. Right. You know, right. And the ones that stay for the longest time is like you said, similar yeah. philosophies. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, uh, again, I think we were the lucky ones. We were able to find the place that we loved and who loved us back. You know, so, so that was putting it. It's a real good way of putting it. Um, so we've been doing this a long time. What, you know, what, and it hasn't, like I just mentioned three years at UMass where I was not successful. Um, and I know that there are probably some years that you coached that maybe you were not as successful as you wanted to be. Absolutely. So, so what did we learn from that as coaches? I think that what I learned is that it's really interesting when we use the word successful, you know, like I had a team that that won 12 games. I thought, I thought they did the greatest job maybe of any team I've ever coached, but, but that's not the way the world perceives us, you know? Right. And I've tried to teach that. And Dave Gavitt, again, I, I, I'm sorry, I keep going back to these guys, but they're the ones that told me, and Gavitt was really big on this. He would say to me, Harry, just try to get your team to, to play as well as it's capable of playing. He said wins and losses will take care of itself because you can't control injuries and all this other stuff. He says, if you have a talented team, you're going to win a lot of games. If, if you overachieve and play well, he said, if you don't have a talented team, you're going to win less games. So he never put, he never said winning 20, 25 games was successful. Mm-hmm. He said the success lies in if you can get your team to play better than the sum of its parts. Mm. That's what he taught me. And he yeah. said, 
here's the world's not going to let you feel that way, but that's really the way it is. So I don't know. I mean, that's the way I've tried to put it into perspective. Right. And, and I think, you know, yes, the way that, that you mentioned it, that success is viewed by others, you know, um, at the measure of success. And, it, and for so many, it's how many games you win or, right. you know, all that stuff. And I think for you and I, I think success, at least for me, um, is, walk, is watching my players walk across the stage at commencement Correct. and getting yes. their degree. And that, that to me is the most gratifying uh, part of my job uh, that I know, okay, they're, they're set now. They've had a great education. Um, their basketball experience has been, has been good. They've grown as a person from the minute, the moment they walked into my office until now they are on this stage mm -hmm. receiving their, their degree. And, and there's no better feeling in the world. I don't think than, than that. Oh, I agree. I mean, I tell people all the time is if I get sick, I have nurses. If I'm in trouble, I have lawyers. You know what I mean? So I have psychologists. I yeah. want to invest my money, I can invest my money. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and you even have a, a nun praying for you yes. every day. That's well, really you good. That's, that's like probably you. the best one, Mark. I'm telling you. Because if she wasn't praying for me, forget about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced yeah. of it. Yeah, I, I mean, that story is so great. And, and yeah. I know, you know, there's been all kinds of things publicized, but that's such a great story. And Yeah, it is a great uh, story. Real know, fast, I'll yeah, tell you a it, funny story about that one. When we beat, remember when we beat Connecticut for the, they were undefeated, there was a big deal. You know yes, I, mean? I do. Well, what's your name? Um, uh, I, I got, they were doing a story about Shelly in the summer or something. And Mrs. Pennyfather didn't want to be interviewed. So I, she called me up on the phone she calls me on the phone as I'm driving to the Connecticut game to play on the bus. She's like, I really don't want to be in the television show, blah, blah, blah. So I get to the gym and I get interviewed. Doris Burke did the game. She's interviewing me and um, I'm telling her, we're talking about Shelly. So I said, yeah, I said, Shelly's mother called me. And then when I got off the phone, she, she had said to me before I got off the phone, she goes, where are you going? I said, we're going over to play Connecticut. She goes, oh, good. Maybe you win. I said, no, there's no chance. We can't win. She goes, I'll call the convent and have him pray for you. So I tell Doris before the game, Doris says it on the air, and then we <laughs> So when I see Shelly that summer, she says to me, she, she doesn't even know what, she knows what happened, but she don't understand anymore because they don't even talk about it. But she says to me in the summer, she goes, oh, was that the reason why there were reporters knocking on the door? They were trying to interview her at, at oh, the convent. And then she said to me, there were people leaving messages on the phone because you can leave like intentions. She said, there are people leaving messages on the phone. Would you pray for us to win this game? <laughs> and Mother Superior is like looking at me like, I'm so kind of You know what I mean? Oh, that was oh, a great story, Barty. <laughs> that is. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But don't you think the era like 20 years ago, I don't know, was it the golden age? I don't know. Was it? Or do you think now is? Um, you know, I, I feel like if I pick out one segment of my career as, you know, being the golden age, it would be, you know, the beginning of my career. And, and not that, not that that was better than any others. It's just, you know, I feel like that's where I kind of developed my philosophy and the, and, and I developed how I wanted to, to coach and, mm -hmm. um, meaning, 
you know, what was important to me, you know, what, what are the things that I valued? Um, and, and believe me, since then, as the years have gone on, you know, those certainly refined my philosophy. I've refined my goals. I've refined what's really important to me. Um, I think from the beginning to, to the end, the players were always first and foremost. The relationships built were always first and foremost. But as I got older, I valued those so much. Not not more, but I certainly I, right. I, put, I put a little more emphasis on on that. Um, and you know, I think coaching young people and young women like we have now. You know, I don't know about you, but. It, and, and I think we always had these issues before, but maybe never talked about and never brought up. But, but I felt as though mental health is probably one of the biggest things that we as coaches have had to deal with over the last, I don't know, maybe five, ten years. I, I agree with you. Here's, yeah. here's something I wanted to ask you. And I've always I've talked about this with Doug, uh, all the people, Gino sometimes, all the people have been in it for a long time. And maybe because we got older, but I still had good relationships over the past couple of years with my players, but I didn't feel like it was as close as it was 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Is, is, do you feel the same way or no? Um, or is it because? Yeah, I, 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 kind of, I kind of do. And I think that maybe um, there's so many distractions now for, for young people. Um, they don't need to rely on you as much as they did. Mm -hmm. uh, they still do. I mean, believe me, they do. But there are many other people that they can turn to. Um, I think the parents are very, very close with their children now, mm -hmm. uh, extremely close, and want the best for them, absolutely. But at times, that's, you know, instead of young people maybe handling their own issues, like we had to do. Correct. Um, they they've got you know they they turn to their parents they turn to um you know advisors or counselors or somebody mm -hmm. that they you know that that can help them with things and and even at times they kind of throw their hands up like i don't know what to do with this and i think for me that was frustrating because it, it's like okay i'm not diminishing the problem but come on, have a, you, you can get through this. You right, really right. can get through this. And, um, and, you know, maybe that was, I would say probably a little bit different than when, you know, with previous years teams, you know, we used to, we had a three word phrase that we used to use all the time and it was figure it out. Mm -hmm. Just figure it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and we don't need to hold your hand. Like, and I don't right. want to hold your hand. Right. I want you to figure it out. Like the, the tough love thing is kind of going away a little bit, you know what I mean? But yeah. I agree with what you're saying. Um, it's interesting because I'm advising a young girl in Tennessee who's doing this project. And through this project, I am realizing just how many more things that players today, like you just said, you got social media, you got this, you got counseling, you got this. You got so many things that they're that they they learn differently, mm -hmm. they learn differently than they did before, you know. And they have to be talked to differently, you know. Like I would tell a kid twenty years ago, "You stink," but she knew I was actually saying to her, "You're pretty good," you know. What I mean, 
So but nowadays, if you say you stink, they, they really believe it. They think you're oh, they file a lawsuit against you. <laughs> that's my point. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like the difference is to me, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just, I just thought, and, and all the, I, should, I don't want to use the word older coaches, but we are, but all of them basically say the same thing you said that they, that they learn kids today just learn so differently. We have to treat them differently, you know? Right. Right. That's for sure. There was a lot of sensitivity um, with, with our female athletes and, um, you know, and I mean, again, the, the age that they are 18 to 22. Um, I was once captured in a photo with my, you know, my mouth wide open and kind of, you know, wide eyed. And some people commented on it. And I said, well, if you were dealing with 18 to 22 year old young women, <laughs> wouldn't you look like that most of the time? Yeah. You know, it's, and you're it's right a crazy about that time for everybody. You yeah. know, I, I caught a lot of flack one game last year because I was yelling or something. And the next day the letters came in and it's like, I always tell people, I said, you know, this is a family that I live in. And you're going to tell me that you never got angry with your children in right. your family. You never, come on, stop it. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but we get judged so differently because of that, you know? Right. Right. right? Absolutely. It's crazy. And, and I, yeah. you know, that, that comes with the territory, you know, I, I, the other thing I think is the, you know, the salaries are so big now yes. and, and um, those who are in that hierarchy of, of programs that, are on TV all the time and get so much publicity and have so much attention drawn to them. And, and that's part of it. Now you, you almost have to be so careful with every word you say, um, you know, Gino probably an exception in that he can kind of say whatever he wants to say right. um, and, and be okay with it. Not that he right. doesn't get criticism, but he, he doesn't care. Right. And, and yet, you know, I think there's so many coaches who are experiencing some difficulties now because of things they've said or um, actions they've taken um, that are that are looked at under the microscope and now being looked at in a in a totally different way than they intended those things. Correct. Uh, you know, to to be to be thought of. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a different time for coaches. Yeah. You, you want to, I'll tell you another funny story. My son, Steven, who's a senior at Villanova. Remember Rene Dunn, Rene Shields that played the St. Joe's? Yes. Well, she coaches Carol and she gave Steven the JV job, girls job. So I went to watch him coach a couple of times and I laughed because he is exactly opposite of me. He okay. raises his voice. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't even stand it. I was like, I'm, I feel like going over and smacking him and say, Steve, are you alive over there? <laughs> I watched you for years. He goes, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I yeah. said, well, you're pretty smart then. I'll give you credit. But but I try to advise young coaches what you just said. You got to be really careful of everything you do. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, there, there's a lot of passion in our game. There's a lot of passion as a I mean, you have to have passion as a coach. Otherwise, why are you doing this? But you, your emotions have to be somewhat in check um, because everybody who pays admission to watch your team play gets to judge you and, exactly right. and everybody's got their own opinion. So I, I agree with what you said about your team being your family. I think that, you know, we used to say that with, with our players that um, everything that we are doing is for the benefit of the team. Mm -hmm. um, we're not 
we're not uh, targeting any individual because maybe I didn't play you or maybe I didn't give you enough playing time or took you out when you didn't think you should have been taken. You know, I'm not, it's not personal, but every move that we make is for the good of the team and hopefully for the benefit of the team. And I think, um, you know, right now that's a, you know, if, if kids don't like their playing time, if they don't like, you know, how they're being spoken to, it, it's, you know, it becomes, becomes tough. I, we were fortunate, and probably you as well, that we were in a situation where people liked what we were doing, liked, like, in other words, liked the outcome of, of the games and, and all that. And so maybe we weren't, you know, we weren't targeted as much, but, you know, I, I know that no matter what, you know, parents in the stands have maybe a whole different opinion oh, than I do of their daughters. It's amazing to me. And the other thing that amazes me today, too, is kids don't have, and I don't know whether I'm using the right wording, they don't have control of their parents. Is that, I, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but uh, another story I always remember is Trish Jolene was a great player for me. And her freshman year, fre- all freshmen, it's brutal for them with me. Yeah teaching them all this stuff. And I never forget her mother coming up to me after one of the games I thought was going to be like, whatever, you know, she said to me, Harry, because I don't have no understanding of what you're trying to do. She goes, but my daughter does. And that's, that was it. And, and, and like today kids don't seem to be able to express that to their parents, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, they become, like you said, too dependent upon them, you know? Right. I thought that was a big change over the years in, in, in everything, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Anything you would have done differently, Harry? Anything you think about as a coach that you maybe would like a do-over? At one situation, because um, I always push kids pretty hard, and but I pushed one kid so hard once, he actually quit playing. I'll never, mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. And I actually – should have changed before that. But after that, I I had an unwritten rule in myself that I would never push a kid harder than they, they felt like they could be pushed. Like I kind of thought she could have been pushed more, but she didn't feel that way. So my philosophy, and I don't know whether you view this as a change, but I just changed at the time and saying, at that point, I will let the kid be whatever they want to be. Mm-hmm. good kid. She worked, she worked hard. I thought she could be better, but maybe she couldn't. So I now allow my assistants when I'm not coaching anymore, but I used to then change to allow my assistants to say, Hey, this kid's reached her peak, leave her alone. And that's the only thing that I have had done differently. I thought over the years, but everything else I've kind of stayed the same. I, I probably would have toned down the yelling a little bit more just because as the as the errors went on, I probably should have toned that down. But but that was the biggest change that I actually did that I actually caught myself years ago. That was like over twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We both had plenty of time to work out the kinks, if you will. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think as a young coach, I I focused on winning way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, might have alienated some people along the way because. Right you know, recruiting was tough, but, you know, we really went after it. And, you know, some things that I look back and say, you know, really, was that, was that necessary? Right. You know, was that really necessary? Um, I, I too have mellowed over the years in the sense that I look at things 
differently um, how I treated um, you know other coaches I, I feel like I always treated my players well I I feel like I always treated my assistant coaches well and in fact my um, my longtime assistant has taken over my position at, at Bentley and, and and is the head coach and I I couldn't be more thrilled right so you know it, I was I used to think maybe I wasn't mentoring my assistants well enough but at the same time now I'm I'm really happy to see that one who is a product of our program is now the head coach and and there are a few others who have gone on to to be head coaches of their of their program sorry um who have been head coaches uh of their own programs and and you know, it's not, again, like we said, it's not the measure of success, wins or losses, but, you know, are they, are they doing the right things for the people within their program? I think right. that's most important. And the same thing happened with me. I was lucky. Denise Dillon took over for me at Villanova, mm. who was a former player, a former assistant, coached at Drexel for 17 years, and then, you know, Villanova brought her back. So that, it is kind of cool. I was up there yesterday. Yeah. It is kind of cool just to walk in the office and just hang around just like, you, you know, you were there, you know? Yeah, for then, sure. You know, for me, Joe Mullaney was, you know, he, he was with me right. some years. And I tell people, I said, there were there were months or weeks where he just coached the team. You know what I mean? I said, yeah. whatever you want to do, man. What do you want to do at practice today? Yeah. You, do, you know? So for me, I had somebody that just, you know, really took a lot of pressure off of me. And that was great for me. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned it. I think hiring good assistants and having people that you can rely on. Correct. Um, that that you can turn to and say, uh, you know, what's your idea on this? Mm. I think maybe as a head coach, sometimes you know you're supposed to know it all, or you're supposed to be able to handle every situation. And I'll be the first one to say, no, I, you know, I, I used to leave the last second um, sideline out of bounds plays for my assistant. Um, it was her job to know you know, we had three or four that we would run and it was, you know, we came to those situations and we were in a timeout. She took it. And I, I just think it's really important to allow people to, to do the things that they do well and give them Correct. responsibility and allow them to be in charge sometimes, you know? And, and sometimes I learned <clears throat> my, I had former players as assistants too, which was great. Yeah. They would explain it to the kids better than I could. Right. <laughs> and I would just say, hey, just go ahead and do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. I, I actually found that to be actually amazing as I got older. I said, damn, they they explained it a lot better than I do. Yeah. yeah. Ran it, you know what I mean? Exactly. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. Yeah. Same with me. We've had former players, and the, I think the one thing they can do is they can relate. They can relate yes, to players. That's the word. They just, okay, she, you know, she's going to tell you right now that. Right. You know, you're not doing things well, but just hang in there. She'll get over it, and she'll, she'll finally. Lady, you don't listen so. to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I used. I, I I know. I always tell stories to get my point across. But I remember Shelly was a senior or a junior, and there was a freshman, and I was telling the kid, you know, you stink. You know, work hard. I'm sick and tired of this. Blah blah blah. And Shelly would literally stand next to me. And I, when I got done speaking, she says, okay, I'm going to translate this for you. <laughs> You're really good. He thinks you work really hard. He likes you a lot. And it was like really comical. He got to the point where it was comical, but was great. Like, you know, like you're telling like your other players can relay it to them better than we can, you know? Yeah. 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 Kind of funny. It is fun. Which they can. Yeah. I wanted to ask like, 
what are you doing right? Like, what do you do during the day? Like, what do you do? What's retirement like? Um, it's like going from 100 to zero, you know, in the matter of, you know, a short time. Uh, I'll say to you that the pandemic and, and you know, kind of the, the isolation that we've all had to go through at various times sort of prepared me for mm -hmm. retirement because we were working from home and obviously trying to do as much as we could from home. And our players were in at their homes and trying to keep in touch with them through Zoom and, and various things. And yeah, that was really difficult. I, I missed the personal interaction. I missed mm -hmm. seeing them. I missed giving them a hug. I, you know, I, I really, I missed them so much. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably was the most difficult thing in, in determining that this was the right time to retire was the fact that I would miss them um, and my assistant coaches so much. Now that I am kind of, you know, two months into official retirement mm -hmm. um, and I've had a chance to you know, I've kind of had a chance to get over that maybe mm -hmm. to at least or not really get over it, but come to deal with it mm -hmm. now in a, in a much better way. Not as emotional as I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of the same way. I, 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 I volunteer my time at, at St. Bernadette's grade school mm -hmm. watch for lunchtime. So I watch the fourth graders and the eighth graders. So oh, interesting stuff going on down there. So just like, uh, yeah, one kid lost her tooth one day and, one day I had to watch the first graders and they were acting crazy. I yelled at them. One kid was crying, wanted her mother. So I mean, <laughs> oh, I thought you got out of that. That's the best. But, but, but like you said, it, it was like going from a hundred miles an hour to zero. And, and I've actually talked to Muffet about it. And at the beginning when she announced her retirement, then she calls me like two months later, she goes, Harry, are you really enjoying this as much as I am? And I said, yeah, it, it, it actually is pretty good, Muff. So you're right. It, it, we've, we've learned to enjoy ourselves, I think, which hopefully right. we see a different thing, you know, and, and now like basketball season starting, I think I'm going to try to go to people's practices. That'll keep me an, enough involved where mm -hmm. it give me enough taste, you know, to keep, it make me happy. Yeah. I, I, this is going to be a strange year for sure. I mean, in, in our area and in the conference that we play in, they have um, really, change the schedule so that it's just purely conference and right. even just conference games within we have two divisions in our northeast 10 conference and and the divisional play will be the only schedule that you have you won't even cross over to the other division you. Um, you know to eliminate as much travel as possible and and potential overnight stays so um you know hopefully the basketball season can take place here i don't know it's you know the the virus doesn't seem to want to go away and, yeah you're right and it's right. it's hard you know it's hard i i think for me personally i think not having to coach during this time or not coaching during this time let me put it that way um is probably a right decision for for me you know i mean we all have to value our health and and we all have to take care of ourselves and others and so I would be concerned going in every day and, and, you know, I, I know that the practices that have been going on have been done with masks on and mm. players and coaches are wearing masks throughout an entire hour long conditioning practice. Yeah, you know, our kids are too. Our kids are too. So, you know, I, I, 
that's different. That's really, really different. Um, I, it's challenging for sure, but you know, I, all I'm going to say is I'm glad my, my former assistant is now the head coach yeah. and having to deal and with I it. I feel the same way as you. I, I just feel the same way, but yeah, it's working out all right. I'm technically still working for Villanova as an advisor, but there's really, no, I was going to do fundraising, but there's not even any fundraising to do. Right. Right. So. Yeah. It's a tough year. Yeah. Right. It, the good news is, you know, okay. Retirement's here. The bad news is that it's in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, there's not a lot to do. Um, <laughs> you know, some travel plans are obviously curtailed and, you know, have to wait till, till the future. But, um, but the one thing that I have been able to do, which I've never done in my 44 years of coaching is I've been able to enjoy fall golf. Okay. And I love to golf. So, um, you know, I, I could never, I mean, once school started, I was, I could never right, go out and golf. Now, you know, I'm seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, the foliage, sorry. <clears throat> foliage is so beautiful. Um, and, and it's just, it's just neat. It's and and obviously to get outside is really important. So I agree. I, I'm my playing excuse. tomorrow and Thursday. Oh, oh good. Good for you. And I yeah. walk every afternoon with friends in the neighborhood. I work. I work out more now than I did when I was thirty. Yeah, I know. Same with it's, me. It's great. I'm walking like a fiend, and I yes, exactly. Right. Always had an excuse not to before, but <laughs> I have no excuse. Have to, we're gonna have to talk about Medicare next. Oh my God, Harry! Oh, how, how complicated is that? Uh, oh, unbelievable! It's it's. It, I know. I feel like I'm just going to toss a coin up and see what happens. And know? that's exactly right. I'm still under Villanova's plan, but I'm going to have to worry about it in another month or two. That's same. It out. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, yeah. It was good to talk to you, Bart. It's good to see really you. Really good to talk to you, Harry. It's been a your while. Still but... the same. Nice and short. I like it. <laughs> well, you're here. I would have to say. I don't have as much hair anymore. So less of, but yeah. you know, that's okay. <laughs> you still are. You still have the greatest stories in the world. You know, <laughs> Well, true stories are always the best ones, right? For sure. These guys, WBCA, you should just do a, a podcast on Harry's stories. <laughs> you know, that's I, I'm my suggestion. I'm going to tell a lot of Shelly's stories. So I'll tell you one more and then, and then Keys can cut us off. You got to understand that Shelly is a cloistered nun. You understand? And they don't speak. They speak one hour a day. They only eat. They don't eat any meat. They sleep for four hours at a time. That's it. So I get the visitor once a year. So the amazing conversations during that hour and a half are unbelievable. So one of the funniest ones was I'm talking about people getting on my nerves. You know, we're talking about coaching, whatever. Shelly goes, yeah, Harry. She goes, um, you know, for you guys, it's easy. You can tell people that they're getting on your nerves. She goes in here, it takes five years to tell somebody they're getting on your nerves. <laughs> that was one of the great stories, but someday I'll tell you some more. They're really good ones. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to the WBCA podcast, Growing Our Game. Share your thoughts on today's discussion by using the hashtag WBCA podcast. For more information on the WBCA, visit WBCA.org and follow us at WBCA 1981. Thank you. And we'll see you here for our next episode of Growing Our Game.